and all to episode 94 of the Scum and Villainy Podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and in this jam-packed episode, I am joined by my co-pilot, Mr. Noah DeGeorge. I don't know about you, but uh, I was I was itching all day. I actually, you know what? I do know about you. you. Talk to you your didn't doctor have to about wait. that. <laughs> no, no, not that, not that. I already got that cleared up. That's oh, okay. Thank separate God. issue. Uh, Thank God. That's our different podcast, yeah. uh, which is itches and scratches. <laughs> itches and scratches. That's not a bad one, you know. That's uh, not, yeah. Isn't that a Simpsons thing? Itchy and scratchy. Ooh, you're asking the wrong person. I am not a Simpsons guy. Not well. Not that well, I dislike it, it. I've just never. I feel like it's a little before my time. But The Simpsons is also forever. So yes. you know, when is when is my time in regards to <laughs> Simpsons time? Who flipping knows? But you are itching for. I, I was itching to to get to today's uh, episode, and by mm-hmm. by today's episode, I mean. Uh, episodes but also this episode right here that you're Hell listening yeah, to brother because uh it's just it just feels like a new it's a the dawning of a new day in, exactly. in star wars world i suppose exactly i i did not uh, have to wait long like you said uh i i have the benefit of being on the west coast it was funny because i i've mentioned before on the show i recently started watching the mandalorian with my girlfriend oh also time codes are in the description if you want to hop to any of the topics uh <laughs> talking about bad batch talking about mandalorian uh time codes are in the description if you want to uh, hear our immediate thoughts on those episodes anyway tangent time no uh so as I mentioned, I've been watching the show with my girlfriend, uh, uh, who I, I don't live with, but she was like, "Hey, are you gonna w- like wait for me to watch The Mandalorian?" And I was like, <laughs> no, "No, I will not." <laughs> uh, she's like, "Oh, well, okay." And I was like, "Well, first of all, practically, like I have to record the show. It would be a little difficult to do that without seeing uh, the the episode." Uh, but also, I was like, "I've I've served my time in Azkaban, you know." I <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I, I used to be like, uh, well, not like you. You you didn't do it, but uh, wake up at like or stay up until freaking three a.m. and and waiting for the the new episode of The Mandalorian. But now it's just a cool midnight. You know, I'm up anyway. I'm very excited to be talking about, as we've already mentioned, the newest episode of The Mandalorian, uh, the season three premiere, um, as well as The Bad Batch. Uh, We have a new episode of that as well, lest we forget. Uh, And we're even going to kick off our discussion here with talking about The Bad Batch. Like I said, again, uh, if you want to just hop to our thoughts on The Mandalorian uh, and our review of that, time codes are in the description uh, and you can hop there conveniently. But first, Noah, The Bad Batch, Metamorphosis. Uh, I don't know about you. I didn't watch this first. I watched The Mandalorian, went to bed, woke up this morning because I kind of want to maintain that like Saturday morning cartoon vibe. So I know The Bad Batch was second priority for a lot of people, but I'm still really excited to talk about it. Uh, here's here's how my uh, my viewing schedule went down. Uh, so late last night, uh, my brother was trying to call me and was like, oh, do you want to do you want to like hang out you want to like talk about this you want to play some play some games online you want to do this and it was like 10 40 ish and i was Mm -hmm. like nah man actually i gotta i I gotta go to bed early tonight so that i can wake up at 2 a.m uh because i'm in the eastern time zone yeah Uh, and i was like i gotta go to bed early tonight so i can wake up and watch the mandalorian when it drops and he was like okay well uh if you you know if you do that call me so that we can like, we can hang out then and talk, Cute. uh, which, you know, let's just, you know, benefit of the doubt, you know, sure. Whatever. Uh, maybe he's doing the same thing. Maybe he's as excited. Uh, but the point is 
dude lives in the Eastern time zone. So that'd be 3 a.m. for him. And he's right. like, I'll be up, man. I'll be up. Just like call me. Knowing and your brother, like, I don't doubt it, though. He yeah, seems like he's never asleep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but how it ended up playing out was uh, I went to bed and did not. Uh, wake up to watch the Mandalorian at all. <laughs> I didn't even try. Uh, you so, were full on like cartoon, like me, 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 yeah. me. And your alarm <laughs> Just, went off and you were, were like, little, absolutely yeah, not. There were Z's coming out of your head. Song. <laughs> uh, so I, today during my lunch break, I watched the Bad Batch, which I woke up and I was like, why did I not? wait like watch the bad batch why did i not just get up to watch the bad batch yeah because it would have been shorter but whatever so i watched the bad batch during my lunch break so i did watch that episode first uh and mm-hmm. then when i got home uh my schedule right now is that i get home before anybody else is home so i got home i fed the cat i grabbed grogu i grabbed my my can of soda and i plopped down on you the fed couch grogu, just, you grabbed the <laughs> you yeah. grabbed the cat <laughs> i i planted myself and immediately started watching episode 1 of the mandalorian as soon as i got home so for me uh mando's fresh on the brain uh, but I got a lot to I got a lot to talk about when it comes to Bad Batch as well. I do too, and truth be told, uh, I, I figured in promoting this episode, I would I would tease a little bit, and I'm curious if you're in the same position as I am. But got two episodes of Star Wars stuff today. I thought one was excellent, and I thought the other one was less so. And I'm curious if you're in the same position because, and we'll get to it, but I thought this week's episode of The Bad Batch was really great. Like, I thought it was so, so good. I, uh, we'll dive into, as always, way, our, to, way to bury the lead. A little bit. Like I said, time codes are in the description. If you want us to get there, if you're eager as I am, um, you have the benefit of time codes. I have to have the discussions and get there. Uh, for me, though, yeah, I thought this episode was really terrific. As always, we'll, we'll, we'll start off with our kind of spoiler-free thoughts, general thoughts on the episode, then we'll dive on in uh, to our more detailed thoughts on it, uh, talking about all the plot points and such but yeah noah this is a great episode of the bad batch what'd you think i i really like i'm sad that i had to watch it the way that i did only because like i was like like okay. on your phone like yes in I, your car. I watched it i watched it on my phone <laughs> granted i was like i was in a controlled environment it was on my lunch break mm-hmm. um so it wasn't like i was trying to do it while like i gotta pretend like i'm answering an email or like <laughs> you know doing something like that yeah um but I did watch it on my phone with my headphones in. So like it wasn't the worst thing, sure. but I like wasn't able to simultaneously take notes. I had to like kind of do that afterwards, which I yeah. I like taking notes during so I can like pause, do that. Yeah. It was just kind of a hassle, but the sure. point is um I think that this episode above maybe any of the other episodes in this season, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's the best. I don't think it's like, this is the greatest episode of all time. Right. I think that uh, above all of the episodes so far in this season, this is like the the like most solid composition of an episode. Um, I, I feel like, that. I, like structurally, you mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Structurally and, and narratively and, you know, the, the, the setups, the payoffs, the twists and turns just yeah. felt so like grounded and it felt so tight in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had a lot of episodes in this season that are, let's just say for, for analogy's sake, they're a little bit less, you know, tight. They're a little looser. A little loosey goosey. Um, th- yeah. yeah. They've got leaks, you know, the seams are coming <laughs> apart a little bit. Um, <laughs> but this episode is tight. It is so like put together in yeah. a way that just feels like, yeah, I love this. Everything that I'm seeing is intentional. Everything mm-hmm. that I'm seeing is like workshopped to its full potential of an episode. Um, and I think it it is firing on all cylinders of like, yeah, 
this show rips. This show's awesome. Uh, so yeah. really excited to talk about it. Yeah, those are those are my general thoughts. Uh, freaking slaps. It is really good. Yeah, for me, I also agree structurally. I think that this episode does a great job at like building tension and then ev- eventually releasing that. And whether or not you're kind of like in on it and you go, oh, that's what that thing is. Whether or not you do, like I, I still think it's a lot of fun to be along for the ride. I don't think that this episode is as character driven. There is some interesting decisions that our batch makes in regards to relationships with other characters uh, that have kind of been frayed, let's say, especially this season, which I'm like crossing my fingers. I'm like, come on, boys, you know, let's keep doing it. Um, and then there's also like big, more galaxy wide ramification type things, too, in regards to like what's going on with the Empire and a lot of these behind the scenes things that animated shows are perfect for you know for kind of filling in the lines and 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 coloring in some of that negative space of like well how exactly did this thing happen it's like well we'll we'll retroactively tell that story not my preferred way but if we're gonna do it let's do it um so yeah i i think broad strokes as far as like the batch is concerned i think that they are going in a similar direction as a unit. There's not as many like individual character beats, which I'm fine with. It's not a necessity, but I think that this episode nails action. I think it nails tone above all. This is like one of the most overtly horror Star Wars things that we've gotten in a while. Damn straight it is. I was curious if this was going to be like a bottleneck thriller episode, but it eventually morphs into another thing. Another thing that is also another subgenre of horror. And if you guys don't know, I'm a big horror nut. So that was really cool to see that from the first like opening moments of this episode. I'm like, oh shit, this is like, this is going to be a horror episode. It certainly does. And I think it wears um, its influences on its sleeves. But yeah, I thought this was a terrific episode. Again, not like the greatest episode of the Bad Batch yet, but it's certainly up there for one of my favorites of uh, this new season for sure. Yeah, there's a lot right off the bat that is, it's not subtle, but that's not a bad thing. Um, Huge, you know, we, we say it all the time, but this episode in particular, huge shout outs to Kevin Kiner. I oh, mean, yeah. oh, just yeah. right off the bat is, is like you said, the tone is absolutely nailed in the way that it's so different from everything else, but it like, it drops you in it right away. The, you know, obviously we'll talk about, we'll talk about the influences and whatnot. I For just sure. immediately am like, oh, all right, this is, this is where we're going with this. You know, one of my all time favorite horror sci-fi franchises, uh, you know, kind of, kind of blending with another video game horror sci-fi franchise, uh, that's also on people's brains right now. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I have an idea. I've not played the game, but it was remastered recently and I'm excited to play that on a new system that I'm hoping to buy soon. So yeah. Oh, that game is so good. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I want to play that. Yeah. 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 For Uh, sure. So like all pieces of it, Kevin Kiner's score, as well as the the tone crafted throughout this episode. I do think you're right to bring up the character portion of this because when it comes to tone, there are a lot of interesting beats um, that are like that are incredibly subtle. They're nonverbal beats uh, in ways that I think really play to the strength of this episode, and yeah. they're just really cool things to like. You can watch it and not care that much, but you and I are here having this discussion and it's worth talking about because it adds to that, which mm-hmm. I love. I love when when this show does that. Me too. Let's go ahead and dive on into our spoiler-filled thoughts uh, before we do so. Let's go ahead and give it a rating. Uh, for me, this is like a firm one thumb up, uh, and the other one is up, but it's not like... 
you know, it's not doing flips or anything. Uh, I still got like a double thumbs up, uh, but I, I've seen the highs and the ceilings that this uh, uh, series can go. And I think this is certainly on trajectory to, to get there. Um, but I would have preferred a few more like small character moments. Uh, and I think it's more of just like, it almost like treats the batch as a team and like an organism and like how they're all kind of in harmony, which isn't a bad thing at all. Um, but I would prefer, um, I, I don't even think it's necessarily a gripe. I just know that the show can do that very well. And it's just an element that's missing of this, not a gripe or a criticism. It's just, yeah, I've seen how good this show can be and we're getting there. But, uh, for me, yeah, one firm thumbs up and the other one is up just maybe not as elated. Uh, I think you're right to say that because, you know, coming off the back of, of, having some, let's just say character confrontations, mm-hmm. um, that stuff is still pretty fresh. So it, it'd be good to kind of get some resolution on that. Yeah. So I agree there for me, you know, like I'm going to do this visually for you, but I'll have to explain it. You I'm know ready. how like in like an anime pose, you'll have like one thumb up and it's like sticking out straight. And then the <laughs> other one's like, it's, it's up, but it's also back. It's like yeah. behind your head, <laughs> you know, and you're like doing like this dynamic pose. Yeah. Uh, that's me right now. So that's like, you. Both, you're an anime boy. <laughs> both, both of them are up. Both thumbs are up, but like one of them's in your face. The other You've one's got like those like speed lines behind you. Exactly. You know? Yes. And yeah. yeah. I know you yeah. You've got like a whoosh. Like yes. noise, and the so, other yeah. <laughs> the other thumb is back there. He's like, you know, hey, hey, I'm, hey, I'm up. But, you know, yeah. he's not the focus of the of the you know the image. So yeah, yeah I'm, we're we're on the same page. Yeah. I was thinking today of how ridiculous our rating system is. Like we, uh, it's funny that I, I, well, one day we'll like categorize of like what it means, you know, the enthusiasm levels of the various thumbs and things like that. Uh, the thing is, if you're, if you've been a long time listener, then I'm sure that you can like picture where those things yeah, are at. So for like, sure. It makes sense to us. I I don't. I've not been told that it doesn't yeah, make sense. It makes so. about as much sense as saying like, "Oh, this movie is an eight, but this completely other separate, you know, genre, you know, what it's aiming for is also an eight. You know, yes. like yeah. Uh, to me, it's it's such a sliding scale that why not uh, make fun of it in a way? Uh, but first, Noah, the title of this episode is called Metamorphosis. Uh, I don't know if you're a big reader, but does that word have any meaning for you, or did you uh, skip that one in college? <laughs> um, um, actually, it it does have uh, a little bit of that there because I did Hooray. have to read this. Uh, I did nice. have to read this little short story. Is it a short story or is it a book? It's like a novella. Been, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I was like, you know, when we started the episode, I was like, oh. Is that like, is that going to mean anything? And we also yeah. theorize like metamorphosis. Are we going to, are we going to see the the characters changing and are, are they going to, you know, mm-hmm. are they going to evolve into a, into a more beautiful butterfly yeah. and not an ugly fly person? <laughs> uh, like, like the book we were referencing. Yeah. Um, I think he's like a beetle or something like that. It's or some, maybe yeah, that, it's, it's like it's a just, nondescript he's like, yeah. bug. He's like a yeah. bug. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that this is, like, I think that this is pretty cut and dry. I think there's maybe some digging here, but yeah. I think this is in relation to the, uh, the HR Geiger esque, uh, you know, threat of this, of this episode. Yeah. yeah I don't think, uh, for uh, for those uh, who aren't familiar with the book, uh, the, the Kafka novella, I don't really think that there's too many uh like you know references here uh i think that that book is more grounded interpersonal in a way is kind of dealing with this this man and his relationship with his family and is also himself and loneliness and all those kind of things i don't really 
see that here. I think it's more of a metamorphosis. Yes, in that creature that we see, uh, the Zillow Beast, uh, kind of starting from this like small sort of not quite like a tadpole, but you know a, a little uh, quadruped kind of creature, and then growing into what we know it to be. Um, but also, I would say that there is some metamorphosis happening for the Bad Batch here. I think that they're slowly starting to understand that their relationship with Sid is frayed. Um, we see that directly addressed in this episode, and this is supposedly like maybe the last mission that they have. I feel like next week could, we could really get that like severing of ties, uh, that there's a reference to Rex and uh, Echo in this episode. So maybe that's kind of the trajectory that they're wanting to go. Who knows? But I think that all of that to say, you know, the past two episodes, I weren't like, I wasn't like you know, head over heels for it. I thought they were solid. Uh, the one before last I thought was, was stronger, but I will say I like how it kind of plants these seeds going forward. As far as this episode, I think it really lays the groundwork for the batch and feeling kind of estranged from, from, uh, uh, you know, their, their employer here and felt kind of like, uh, alone themselves and kind of, uh, left out on their own, uh, kind of devices. So yeah, the, it's, it's, it's got the benefit of kind of, you know, knowing where this show goes, being able to go back and rewatch it. I'm sure if uh, those other episodes that I wasn't also as uh, hot on will will do the same. I think Entombed is going to stay right where it's at, though. Uh, let's go ahead and dive on into the episode. Noah, the episode begins on board a cargo ship where everything looks to be completely fucked. Uh, <laughs> uh, we see this uh, uh, clone commando who is uh, running uh, throughout this uh, kind of destroyed ship, wielding an electro sh uh, staff. They're they're panting and fearful for their life, running from some sort of unknown threat. Uh, the scene ends with him being taken or perhaps eaten, uh, which is a pretty funny joke later on in the show, um, by some sort of unnamed creature, and we don't really get to know too much from that. So I don't know about you, but like right from the jump here, I was like, oh, damn, this is aliens. Like we're doing aliens or we're yes. doing alien to be specific. Um, not, not the, the second film, but I was, I was curious if it was going to be like a bottleneck episode just entirely on this ship. Uh, but it obviously evolves into something else. So I, I, I know that you were in your head were kind of in a similar direction here. Absolutely. I was immediately picturing, uh, alien or, or dead space. Uh, I know you're not as familiar with the game, right. um, but it starts it, it, I mean, it's it's almost identical um, to Alien um, that the game uh, takes place as a sort of rescue mission operation thing with a yeah. mining ship that has been sort of stranded out in space uh, and has, you know, lost its signal or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they go to the ship and there's a, you know, there's a bunch of, a bunch of hoo-ha, a bunch of exactly. nonsense. <laughs> and by nonsense, I mean uh, disturbing, mutated uh, people things. I'm, I'm yeah, reading the back it, of the, the, the cover right now. It does say a bunch of hoo-ha. That's, <laughs> that's, I believe that's what, uh, that's what they, they, they describe it as. They call it the yeah, hoo-ha species of the creatures uh, you know a, a, a gaggle of hoo-ha you know exactly um <laughs> it's not as catchy as xenomorph but no uh, not at all know, we'll, I, we'll take I, it i will say though when the the zillow beef is a uh, beef the zillow beast <laughs> is eventually revealed i wasn't like <laughs> that's the zillow beast i was like <laughs> i got you there you you're <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> I was I was I was thinking in my head before when you said that he starts as like a little tadpole that I was like 
he in my head I was gonna say it like eventually <laughs> I was like he's at first he's a little Zillow bug and then he's a Zillow beast and <laughs> I'm just imagining that the little one is a beef and the the bigger one's a beast so cool man <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm glad that really tickled you anyway uh when we first see the zillow beast i thought i was like oh that's just a xenomorph like it looks the yeah, exact yeah. same it's got like the I, teeth I and the so. rounded head and everything yep. and eventually uh kind of turns into the zillow beast you know what it also looks like were you a were you a ben 10 guy uh when when um, you were a kid uh, yeah a little bit i was more into the ben 10 like games and things uh not okay. as much the show but yes yeah. i i'm familiar with with the with the the discography of Ben Ten, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a there's one of the the creatures that Ben turns into called Wild Mutt. At least that's like the name for it, and it looks very similar. It, it's not quite as hairy. This one is a little bit more reptilian, but it also gave me similar vibes of that too. Um, so yeah, shout out any Ben Ten fans out there. That was my <laughs> back in the day. Um, so yeah, uh, following that we get a new scene uh, in this the Imperial base that we saw teased at the end of last season, which I saw that and I was like. Like, thank God, like that thread has been picked up back again uh, and we are returning to this planet. Uh, it's under the command of the Empire. Mistress Say from Kamino has been captured and is being kept under supervision. Uh, and we are introduced to this new character named Dr. Hemlock. Uh, he is one of the scientists under Palpatine who is sent to convince Mistress Say uh, to use her knowledge and her abilities to aid them in the cloning pl- uh, process, uh, which they have gotten uh, closer and closer to over the years, but cannot be like finally, you know, completed without her aid uh what was your kind of reaction to returning to this planet noah uh i was actually very very pleased to be back in this space it's one of those things that like you know in in these multiple threads that we have like you said this is one that's been left on the floor uh for a little while but the tone of this is sort of like keeping in with the with a little bit of the darker, more mysterious thriller-esque stuff mm-hmm. uh, with Dr. Hemlock being like this very, you know, you know, almost like almost savant, you know, kind of uh, kind of creepy doctor guy yeah. uh, that he definitely like knows way more than he leads on. He's kind of mysterious. He's whatever. Also, he's voiced by Jimmy Simpson. Uh, shout out Jimmy Simpson. Uh, any Always Sunny fans? He's one of the uh, McPoyle brothers. So that's really cool. <laughs> he's also in a lot of other stuff. I mean, I'm not 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 to you know just kind of shoebox Jimmy Simpson, but uh, yeah, really really great actor. Um, but yeah, it's got like that tone to it that it's just like, oh, this is like kind of scary. Something's going on here. It's like all clone commandos. Uh, it's not yeah. just your average like. It's not just your average Imperial base. Very very kind of very daunting yeah I, I love it what did you think of the clone commandos because they don't necessarily play like a specific role in this like they're not like you know uh, they're not just they all just kind of die they're all just kind of cannon fodder what do you think was the kind of the creative choice to have them here rather than just like regular ct troopers i i see it more as as sort of a not like necessarily status, um, but almost like that the, these these clones are the are the ones that are in the best graces of the empire, and therefore are you know a part of this this subdivision or the, or this you know if you want to call it this division of the empire. Um, 
Yeah, I I almost imagine it as like, well, regular clone troopers are fleety. They are, you know, they're not perfectly trustworthy because if they're conscripts, then they're just random people. If mm-hmm. they're clones, then they could defect. Uh, but the clone commandos seem more like, no, these are your, uh, these are the ones that are are uh, granted high level access stuff because they are, uh, they're trustworthy. They'll keep a secret. They'll, you know, they're the ones that are cut out for this kind of thing. So. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It almost breeds that like, you know, oh, this is this is pretty like top secret stuff, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly uh, in the same kind of line of thinking in that, like, we know that clone, uh, clone commandos are kind of like the best of the best. So kind of just visually gives the, you know, the uh, the alluding to the fact that this is a very important, you know, facility here on Wayland and like what the research that they are conducting is of like top security. So they need the best kind of, you know, uh, uh, troopers guarding this area. I think it also like puts higher stakes on the batch going forward because we know, you know, the caliber of troopers that are going after them. Uh, and I, I, I think that, you know, we've seen them just kind of gun through regular troopers pretty easily, but, you know, clone commandos is a different situation. So I think it just kind of raises the stakes. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of that, you know, kind of feeling with this. And especially because, you know, we get the revelation, I guess it's kind of a revelation yeah. that Nala say is is being held prisoner here. Um, so there's kind of that, obviously that like, you know, Oh, this is, this is the part of the empire that's doing all this really secretive stuff that we are just learning about now. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, It's been hinted towards certainly. And there's also some things in some other star Wars shows that may or may not have had an episode that came out today that we'll definitely be getting to. Um, we return to Dr. Hemlock on this planet, talking to, uh, Nala say, trying to get her to, uh, kind of bend her will, uh, and, and, and aid them. Um, and he is unable to convince her to help. Uh, and then he is given word that the Imperial shipment number nine zero four has been lost and all forms of communication with them has been disabled. Uh, he also sends out uh, kind of immediate orders to return the shipment at any cost and soon begins another mission of the Bad Batch. Uh, Sid brings in some information on the current situation, and uh, there's some negotiation that happens because the Batch is none too happy that Sid kind of just abandoned them on their last planet. Um, and they are granted 50% cut in this last mission that may or may not be the last mission that we have. Do you actually believe the batch here at face value? Because tech is saying that like, this is more of a diplomatic solution that, you know, okay, we'll do this one last job and then we'll move on rather than just like cutting ties. Like Hunter kind of says, do you think one, they're actually going to do that? Or do you think two, this is like, that is a diplomatic solution for Sid. Do you think that she's going to be okay with this? I, I, I had kind of a weird, like a good weird feeling about this, about this interaction, um, because it's clear, I think from the conversation, it's clear that within the batch that they have already talked about, you know, cutting ties with Sid tech says it in a way that's so like, okay, we weren't really prepared to take on this mission. She just kind of threw it at us during this call it would be more diplomatic to do this and then say, okay, sayonara, mm-hmm. um, because she has a ton of information about them. And and even in saying that, it's clear that the batch is in agreement that they don't trust her, which I think is really good. I would have loved to have seen this conversation that apparently has already happened or I'm guessing has already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good to know 
that there is a consensus of like Omega, not happy with Sid. Wrecker, not happy with Sid. Tech, not happy with Sid. And Hunter, definitely not happy with Sid. Uh, So that like, that gives me a lot of comfort in terms of knowing where, where their interactions are going to go from here as we've been sort of waiting for this to happen. Um, Like I said, would have loved to have seen that, you know, kind of take place on screen as a discussion of Mm -hmm. what do we do about Sid? Um, But it's, it seems like they've kind of come to a consensus of like, yeah, we're, we're out of here. And then she's like, listen, I got a, I got a, I got a job for you now that I have you here on the phone. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll just do this because you know, whatever, obviously they don't say that to her. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it, it seems like a, a decent sort of like, this is a a leap forward in terms of what we know so far. I, I think that they've already had that conversation. You know, I think it's certainly intentional to set up Sid as this unreliable, um, collaborator with the batch. And I think especially how this episode ends in having this brand new giant target or at least a growing target on the batch i think this will likely be the 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 last mission however i think sid is not going to be super happy about that because the batch is kind of her main source of muscle and income as well and i think that the empire is eventually going to come knocking at sid's door and i think because of this severed relationship she's probably not going to like you know, uh, remain loyal to them. I think it's been set up that she's not trustworthy. And I think she is going to be the first one to give them or to give them being the empire information that could eventually lead them to the batch. Um, killer. That's what, uh, just killer yeah. is, is, uh, is the solution. Honestly, <laughs> kill Sid. <laughs> that's, that's what I got for you. <laughs> Who in the batch would you want to do that? Do you want Omega, like 100%. Omega, just a, a plasma, you know, arrow, like right into the forehead. <laughs> Absolutely. Execution style. Like, just slit her throat. <laughs> just a great monologue right before she does it. Um, or I could have, I could have Wrecker just lift her over his head and, you know, do a, just, do a whole Bane Batman type, you know, just bop right over the knee. Oh God. Um, <laughs> any of those, any of those options I'm fine with. Just get rid of her. Noah's bloodthirsty this week. Uh, he's, he's, yes, he's sick of Sid. He's sick of it. Um, hey, they're hurting my, they're hurting my family. They're hurting Omega's feelings. That's right. And I don't, I don't take that. I don't. That's right. Uh, the batch returns or the batch arrives at this ship, finding no uh, uh, kind of evidence of human life. There's scratches on the door and uh, goopy stuff dripping from the ceiling. Uh, there's a really funny joke where uh, I think it's Wrecker alludes to the fact that like everyone or it's, I think it's Hunter or it's tech. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, kind of alludes to the fact that the prior members on the ship were eaten and Omega is horrified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I thought like, it was a really funny beat. <laughs> it's funny because like you, you watch this and I was thinking about this, that it's like, okay, do we see this very often in star Wars? Um, and my mind went back to, um, the force awakens and having the, uh, the wrath tars yeah. on, on the ship. Uh, where it's like, you know, they're, they're just running through the ship and people are getting eaten left and right. Right. And it's always been like a a somewhat funny scene to me. It's not a very tense scene for me. Uh, but it's funny because Ray sometimes has like this reaction of like, Jesus Christ, that person just got (laughs) rolled over and he's gone. Or like, Oh my God, all that's left is a boot, you know? (laughs) Um, but like you don't, you don't fully get that feeling from, from really anything in star Wars. Um, but Omega being like, 
uh, it ate them like yeah well i mean this is a galaxy to where people are losing limbs all the time they're seven replacements people do it for fun there's also like creatures and jabba's you know (laughs) freaking dungeon there's like a lot of there's a lot of creepy things that can eat you in the galaxy so you're right it is like star wars is never really a franchise to where people go like whoa that was crazy or like really you know uh, kind of acknowledge the 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 craziness that's going on they're never like man you're ugly like you know like that you're a freaky looking alien you know um but the fact that omega is so horrified that that these you know people were just eaten you know is is really really funny it's good yeah, really good stuff. Tech is sent out by Hunter to restore the power services uh, on the ship, while the other three members uh, kind of just wander around the ship, uh, searching for this some sort of clues to what could have possibly happened. And they eventually uh, wander into this lab of sorts that is uh, filled with Kaminoan equipment. Um, uh, Omega is quick to notice that the equipment that they have on the ship is not quite those used on clones back on Kamino. Uh, so they must be cloning something else. That's where we see this goop dripping down from the ceiling in pure xenomorph-fashion, uh, revealing this underdeveloped xenomorph-looking Zillow beast. You know, it's not fully the creature that we see uh, in the Clone Wars, but uh, it certainly morphs into it like a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I yeah. really did. I I was not certain that it was a Zilla beast at first. I, did, I, I didn't think so at all. I literally, yeah. I, I literally thought it was just something else. Yeah. I was uh, like, oh, that's cool. They really like really took some some design cues from H.R. Geiger here uh, yeah. because that looks just like a xenomorph. Exactly. Uh, very interesting, uh, but still like just beat for beat. Like it's hanging from the ceiling. It's mm-hmm. got goop dripping down. It's yeah, I love it. Yeah, and they also try to fire on the creature, and their blasters do not really help at all. The monster goes on a full-on rampage throughout the ship, uh, eventually escaping the ship and heads towards a nearby village uh, where Tech and Omega uh, go to, eventually understanding that this creature gets bigger and bigger with the more electricity uh, that it digests. This was something that I was like, was this in the Clone Wars? Did I miss this? Is this like a new piece of lore? Um, but yeah, do you do you remember anything in the Clone Wars? about it just like eating electricity like electro no but that's the thing is like i i feel like there's been other pieces of media that have done similar things um and it is very it's one of those star wars things that i'm like yeah absolutely of course why Mm not um yeah i don't i don't remember that being a specific part of like it's I don't know. It's it's move set, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's it's available powers, I guess. I don't yeah. know. And we'll get to it, but I I'm I'm curious why this creature was chosen if it eventually leads to where we know it leads. Like we know the destination of the empire and the emperor and his interest in cloning. We we know that. So I'm kind of like, how does this get us from here to there? You know, and I have some I have some theories because uh we learned that this creature is able to ingest and, you know, kind of be unaffected by all of this energy it takes one of those like blasts that we see in attack of the clones that shoots like the trade federation or the separatist ship out of the sky you know the iron man looking one takes one of those like straight to the chin no problem (laughs) uh the creature is basically kind of like the cloning of a genetic structure that is immune to any electrical substance that it feeds on 
Um, and we also are trying to stop this creature from attacking this, you know, this village and this city. And also the empire's here now. <laughs> the empire has descended from the heavens and it was just like this big soup of chaos that was happening here. Like the batch is trying to stop this creature from destroying this village. They're also trying to save themselves. They're also trying to escape from the empire who's also shooting at them and just like, you know, without any regard for loss of civilian life is also just shooting at this village too. I was like, this is is crazy. <laughs> yes. And what I love about this is that we talk about, you know, we talk about tone with something like this episode yeah. and, and, you know, how is, how is this structured? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like everything, even though it's this one big soup, like you said, mm -hmm. uh, it kind of all comes out like balanced yeah. in a really strange way that like, it does not feel overcrowded. It doesn't, I mean, there's not, there's, there's enough veggies in the pot, mm -hmm. uh, that each of them kind of get their, their shine that like you, you have that, that tension of, of the empire being there that they need to sort of get away. You have that with Hunter and Wrecker now being chased by the empire. You have that, you know, you have the, uh, the need for them to kind of do something to stop the beast, um, with Omega and tech learning more about it and downloading codes and stuff back on the ship. And so you have all these different pieces that all come together in this nice blended, not over complicated way. I yeah. feel like it's balanced really well and it's, it's easy to follow, for the fact that there's so much going on. It's it's yeah. really fun, you know? Well, the episode starts off with this alien, you know, uh, uh, Ridley Scott sort of uh, uh, leaning to it. I also wanted to know, I don't know enough about it because it's, a lot of it is in Legends, so I'm sure Alex Damon is going to make a great video and I'll be able to know more <laughs> about it. But the planet that uh, this cloning facility is on is Wayland, which as an alien fan, I also like drew connections to that because that's the name of the corporation that sends that group on that same mission so there's some ties to that i don't know if it, like it's original use in legends because it's a pre-existing planet it, it, a lot of it has to deal with thrawn and stuff that i i have no idea about but uh, i'm curious if it has any connections to that or if it's just a fun coincidence um anyway though i think it's i think it all works well because there's not only this like metamorphosis in the tone of like this alien-esque sort of horror story morphing into this Godzilla you know kaiju like uh, uh, film here which I thought was was really exciting and, and interesting as well but I think it, it doesn't feel chaotic or overstuffed because it's set up well we see the Empire we see that this ship that was destroyed is theirs. They were transporting something and the batch is just given intel. Wrecker even notes that the intel that they're given is not very detailed. Sid is just like, hey, this ship went down carrying something. Go figure it out. You know, so they get here not knowing that it's part of the Empire, not knowing that they're actively looking for it. And so you get this like cascading of problems that happens, which you know, I thought did a great job of making the bad batch who usually can handle like any situation just feel like these odds were insurmountable for them. Like they could not really handle this. They just have to escape, which is eventually what they do. They don't really like fix anything here. They're just like, Oh hell. Like, and they just leave, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's what, like, that's why I was really like hooked with this episode was knowing that, you know, what we've got here is not just the bad batch sort of getting themselves into just another round of trouble somehow mm -hmm. that, these things are all kind of coming down on them with, with such force, but at the same time, as it so happens, 
they are they are inherently connected to the events yeah. that are taking place. It's just one of those things that like, yes, of course, we have to get to that that point somehow. Um, and it just so happened to be this route. I don't think that that's like a cop out in storytelling or anything like that. I think that we've had scenarios like this where, you know, things that they've run into and run up against are things that impact them directly, or they have some, some sort of direct consequence in, and it makes it so much better to, you know, for them to see like, okay, what's our place in this? And here you're exactly right. It's like, um, we don't really have time to worry about that. We got to get out of Dodge. Um, which I, I just think that that's great for, for tension's sake, uh, for them as a team, you know? Yeah. And the batch certainly does get out of Dodge and we see Dr. Hemlock finally getting his hands back on the Zillow creature, uh, which has now been sent back, uh, towards the same planet at the beginning of the episode Wayland, at least we believe it to be Wayland. Um, along with that, he has also gotten his hands on the prime minister of Topo city Lama uh and is now in trying to like make efforts to negotiate with him telling him that he will secure his freedom uh in return that he goes to talk to nala say and convinces her to give them the information that they need to uh continue their research and he reveals this information he's like oh yeah the key to all that is this little girl uh of course obviously omega uh, is the kind of now primary uh, public enemy number one for the Empire, which certainly spells trouble for the Bad Batch. Um, along with that, we also get to see some information that the Batch has collected from the cargo regarding the Zillow uh, monster and what kind of cloning they have been after. They send this uh, information to Echo so that he can find something about the situation. And that is where our episode ends. Lots to dive in there. First, I just want to talk about big kind of umbrella you know, question here. Why do you think it's the Zillow Beast specifically? Like, why do you think that Palpatine wants this thing again? Yeah, so there's a. I'm sure that there's a wealth of knowledge to dive into here about what that could potentially mean. Um, but all we know so far is that uh, for whatever reason, the Emperor wanted uh, to, he wanted his hands on a Zillow Beast, not just because it's a dope pet to have, um, but because something about its ability likely to harness energy uh, and grow from it, uh, that that ability is something that is desirable in cloning. Not only that, um, but it's armor plating, uh, is something else that has been genetically modified uh, in a sense. And so a lot of these things together make me think, okay, if we're going down the route of, you know, of affirming that what what the Empire is after at this current time is cloning materials and and being able to have the technology to use genetic information from certain creatures or certain people, even for sensitive people, you know, whatever, whatever it is, um, that those things are important to Palpatine. Great. Why? Well, you know, if this spells anything from what we know takes place afterwards, then I don't fully see a clear connection, but I could say maybe, you know, maybe the emperor is like, well, the Zillow Beast has this property to take in energy and somewhat, you know, let's just say general, you know, vague, vague wording here, take in energy and, you know, uh, expand its life force 
or, or, you know, strengthen its life force. If we really, really, really need a clear explanation of some of the abilities that Palpatine was looking for in order to clone himself and come back later with just as strong a body or as strong a form, then I think it would be not as big of a stretch as possible to say that this, the Zillabee's ability here is something that is desirable. Maybe. I don't know. I really don't. I don't see yeah. how that like fully, you know, meshes together, but I think it's there somewhere. I maybe. I have a I have a like a half baked tinfoil hat. I've got like a saran wrap hat, Noah. <laughs> oh, gross. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> um I so if if the the end that these breadcrumbs all eventually lead to is the rise of Skywalker and what we see happening going on there, it makes me think of the sequence where Palpatine is sucking the life force from Ben Solo as well as Ray Skywalker, and eventually uses that to like strengthen himself. And to what is grow he really big? He well, he doesn't into, get big. Uh, this isn't a giant man. This isn't like a bigger Luke situation. Uh, Gross. He, but he does get stronger. Uh, and he yeah. like has the power of dubstep and shoots the lightning into the yep. sky and Whoa. kills all the rebels. And it's yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but I will say that I think it's pretty easy to draw a connection between these two things that, we both see in those examples someone who is taking energy from a source and using it for themselves to get stronger, get more powerful. I don't think Palpatine is getting bigger in a literal sense. I think that there's like a practical reason why he could want the Zillow Beast that's literally spelled out in this episode. He's like, yeah, he wanted to weaponize it and make could it a monster. Could you imagine though? Could you imagine? If Palpatine just got taller. <laughs> yeah, like a, just a huge Palpatine. He makes like, himself robes. Why not add like a couple of inches, you know, to his vertical? Like he, he, he could add He could add some fingers. Let me tell you that. He's got like really does, gross yeah. fingers. He, 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 I mean, you like some nice manicured fingers? Yeah, he he, he grows yeah. his fingers back. He's looking at him and he's like, whoa, it works. Yeah, <laughs> the but they look beast. disgusting. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah. They're like you could have gone with a better model, you know, if you're going to yeah. grow your fingers back, make them nicer. Well, he get tried some, to with uh, Get some with zoom Snoke. in your hand model stuff. Stuff, you exactly. Know? He tried to with Snoke, and you kind of saw how that worked out. His big sunken in head. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thing <laughs> so, yeah. caved in like a cake out of the oven. <laughs> uh, so I think it's something to do with that, as well as like. We also know that Grogu is also, you know, in in kind of this situation here, uh, eventually leading to that. We don't really know the full extent of that, nor do we know the full extent of this. Excuse me, but we know that they are eventually connected um i don't really have clear-cut answers but that's what i got you know that's what i got the, the zillobius is able to take in energy palpatine being a force wielder is someone who requires lots of energy to be taken so it makes sense that he would want to you know take pieces of something else in order to create a clone that could withstand that trying to clone metachlorians potentially which is what i assume we see him try to do with grogu you know that that seems to make sense for me i don't think he just wants an army of little green guys i think he wants the fact that he is force sensitive is like especially important to him so that's what i got no that's what i got i think that you're probably like right on the money because that's as that's as far as I can go as well that that seems to make the most sense mm -hmm. um the idea of weaponizing the the Zillow beast is is one that like doesn't fully track for me I'm not 
quite sure about yeah. it. I, I more understand the idea of being able to take its genetic abilities. You know, like you, you go in and you're like, okay, this frog can camouflage itself. And now I, I want those genes. And now I can turn myself, you know, any color I want. I understand that more as like a, you know, wanting the ability of, or to use the, utilize the ability of again, even still, like if we're going to go back and retroactively sort of explain away some things from the rise of Skywalker, Mm -hmm. I would say that this is maybe one of those things that I'm fine with, with, you know, having a a couple answers to, um, I think I, I understand that like the, the theme, one of the main themes of the rise of Skywalker is maybe then undermined with Ray being able to give life force, uh, and Palpatine being the one to, you know, care about taking life force. Um, I mean, that's a really like, that's a really shoestring, you know, it doesn't have much strength to it as a, like, as a theme, as a motif, but like, I get it. That's that connection is clear. Um, so maybe it undermines that a little bit just to say like, well, there's a, there's a practical reason. There's like an explained reason why that's like part of it. I don't care. Um, so, you know, that's part of it too. I just don't care. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's like, that's as solid a, of a connection as I can make as well. Yeah, we will definitely find out, no doubt, uh, as we will uh, continue to get more episodes of The Bad Batch. Uh, I'm excited to see the possibility that Echo and Rex might show up. You know, that's exciting. Uh, yeah, hope, yeah. Hope, hopefully Sid and, and her missions with The Bad Batch will come to an end soon. We can see them actually, you know, continue to protect Omega, but also do so by just doing more than, you know, taking a, a fetch quest mission here and there, you know. Yes, and hopefully Sid gets... Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe she chokes on a piece of Mantel mix, uh, and just or Wrecker it. snaps her in half. You know, <laughs> or that. Fine, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Uh, yes, let's go ahead and continue on to our discussion of the main story, the big topic of the week, uh, The Mandalorian, the newest episode of season three, the season three premiere, titled The Apostate. Let's go ahead and dive on into our spoiler-free thoughts of this episode. Noah, you and I have been kind of, you know, not like cold or anything, but I've been lukewarm to positive on the 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 Mandalorian in general. Uh, it's not been like my favorite thing in Star Wars. I I more just kind of love how much the show means to fans, and I I love people coming together to be excited about Star Wars again. That's not something that we get super super often, uh, which is which is. Uh, really encouraging. Uh, but what do you think about the season three premiere? I know you and I were really excited for this new season. So what'd you think? So I have like, I, I was having some complicated emotions uh, on my way back home because that was like the time where I was like, all right, I'm driving home from work. As soon as I get back, I'm I'm popping on the Mandalorian. And that's, you know, that's the, the thing that I'm most excited for. Um, So I had a lot of complicated feelings, but I realized that at the root of everything that I was feeling, the one thing that I had was just this like sense of nostalgia in a way that like, I just had that feeling of like, I'm back in 2019, the Mandalorian comes out today. It's out and I get to watch the first episode. I get to sit on the couch with my little Grogu and I get to watch the Mandalorian again and just be happy that there is more Star Wars that a majority of people love and that like people are going to be talking about it online for, you know, the next however many weeks. And it was a really good feeling. And so I went into it just feeling really good. And I think I came out 
feeling all right. I think mm-hmm. that like I watched it and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, I've, I've got plenty to talk about, but I don't need, I don't feel the need to, you know, go yell at anybody. I don't feel the need to go on Twitter <laughs> and see what, what other people are thinking. Yeah. I just, I'm happy that I got to watch it. And so like, I'm still kind of in this like nostalgic state of like, I really, I really liked this show when it came out and it was the craziest thing to happen ever. And I hope that I can just have fun with these next few weeks of episodes that we get. Um, because it's going to be fun, uh, even though, you know, watching a 30 minute episode of The Bad Batch today made me infinitely more excited just sitting there watching cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. And that's, you know, like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to stay positive about it, you know? Yeah, I think this episode was really a lot of my feelings with The Mandalorian. Uh, There are certainly standout episodes and episodes that I think really excel. uh, But I think a lot of episodes are just at the standard that I honestly believe that the show has set for itself. And that's not like a super, super high compliment. Like, I think that the show sticks to the status quo in a lot of ways and doesn't it, it r- rarely um really blows me away i think that there are a few episodes uh certainly uh in particular the season two premiere really blew me away like that was so terrific uh season one premiere i thought was was really strong and there are certainly episodes in between that i really like there's rarely an episode of the mandalorian i dislike i think however for myself, it's more of just like, yeah, new Star Wars, you know, cool. Like I was excited for this new episode. I'm still excited for the rest of the season, but I don't think that this episode really wowed me in a way that I was kind of hoping for, for a season three premiere. Not to say that I'm owed that or, you know, it needs to have that Boba Fett reveal at the end of it, like the season two premiere did. But even before that, cut out that Boba Fett, uh, you know, that kind of, teaser at the end that first episode the marshal is awesome you know that first episode of of uh, season one is terrific and introduces you to so many new things and and conflicts for the season and for this it was kind of just like a really long you know previously on the mandalorian like it i don't really feel like we're headed in too many new directions here i think that this episode plants those seeds that were already planted, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Like, I think it waters them a little bit, but like not super thoroughly, at least in my eyes. I think it just checks eyes. on them, honestly. It just, <laughs> it's just checks like, on yep, them. Like, still, like, still uh, planted, yeah. Li- lifting, up, lifting up the cover and like, are we good? <laughs> yeah, we're good, we're good. I think that this episode works uh, on a thematic level and not too much else. I think that the, the talk about the structure of The Bad Batch, I thought worked really well this week. I think the structure of this episode does not work well. I, I think it's actually pretty poorly structured, if I'm being honest. I think a lot of the way that these scenes are oriented doesn't really work for me. It's got cool action. Um, it looks good. Uh, I think that there are lots of sequences that are noticeably shot outside. Um, that, that first sequence, I was like, oh, that's not the, that's not the volume. Like this is outside. I think that there's a lot of stuff on Navarro that also seems to be outside. So it really seems like the production value has gone up in the show and they aren't just like stuck and shooting in Manhattan beach at the volumes, you know, soundstage all day, which I, again, has a purpose. And there's certainly a lot of sequences in this particularly like that hyperspace sequence that you couldn't do without the volume. Uh, We've talked a lot about our feelings on that. But for me, it was just kind of like recapping some things that we've already seen before 
And other than, again, some thematic stuff and really just nailing that down, I didn't really feel like it moved the needle too much for myself, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you hadn't seen The Book of Boba Fett, yes, there's a recap before before the episode truly begins. But if you haven't seen The Book of Boba Fett, this episode feels like a, okay, are we all caught up? Do we get it? We know where we know where people are at right now. Okay, good. Let's make a stop at every single place that we need to check on before we move on to the actual thing. And then we get to the actual thing and it is a smash and grab. It is a go fetch this item. And that to me feels not I mean it's not lazy. It's not lazy at all, yeah. but it feels it feels done. It feels not like tired. But it's just like, okay. It's not, I, not I lazy. It. it just feels familiar, right? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah I've seen been, this. We've been, like, we've been here. Yeah. 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 And I, it also makes me wonder because in the book of Boba Fett, we get that reuniting of Din and Grogu, something that like I, I didn't love. Uh, I wish would have been more drawn out over a couple episodes. I think the there was some quotes that John Favreau had this week that I'm still not sure on. Also, quotes aren't canon, so whatever. But regardless of what time and how long Grogu and Mando were apart from one another, whatever, I'm sure we'll get it in a a visual dictionary one day. However, I still think it just literally the, the amount of time from the audience perspective that we have Din and Grogu apart from each other is a episode. They spend one episode apart from one another, and that's in the the Mando's reintroduction in the book of Boba Fett. And then in the following episode, they are reunited. And I was kind of wondering in this episode and also in the season, it's something I'm not going to be like, impress me, arms crossed, like cynical about. I'm just curious. I'm like, okay, if you're going to make that creative choice, I'm I'm curious where you're going to take it. Or am I going to have to put on my cynical hat and say, no, they didn't want to give up their golden goose and they wanted to have Din and Grogu together because that's the moneymaker. Grogu is the face of the series and having them apart from one another, people aren't going to like that. So do I feel that Grogu and his, you know, reintroduction to Mando in this episode is necessary? Do I feel like it has their relationship? It, it may be not fully grown. I don't need it's episode one for God's sakes. It's 30 minutes. Do I feel like I have, you know, been not convinced again? I'm trying not to sound cynical, but do I kind of see where this road is headed? And the answer is no. Like I don't in this episode, at least really understand why Grogu is back with Den. I think so far from what we've seen, and I'm curious, if I'm going to be proven wrong, that Din Djarin and his quest that we are going to see him go on throughout this season, I'm curious what role Grogu is going to play in that, if at all. You know, because in this episode, it's just kind of like, again, that familiar of there's Grogu and yeah, he's super cute and he's trying to get food and oh, he's playing with things and eat, trying to eat stuff that he shouldn't be, eating, you know, which is great. I love it. I love their relationship and it's super funny. There's a few beats in this that are fucking hilarious, oh, really yeah. good stuff. But I'm also just kind of like, was it worth it to like sever that? Because I think that time apart from each other could have been really powerful, you know? And for me, it just wasn't like I didn't feel much with them being reunited I wasn't like I think a lot of people I saw their reaction this episode were were like I miss these two like I'm so excited Mando is back where for myself I'm like I would have missed these two 
but a big portion of them was in a year ago that we saw a lot of them last year with the book of Boba Fett. Like to me, I didn't feel like the time that we have spent with these characters apart really made me miss them in a way that required this episode to spend so much of it of its time. I felt like it was a sitcom, you know, just checking into so-and-so and and, and popping on in and they go, Hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm going on this mission just in case you forgot. Hey, do I still need to do this? Yep. Okay. Bye. You know, like Din has his introduction in this season is him going to talk to certain characters and he's just like, Hey, I'm still going on this quest. And they're like, all right. And then he leaves, you know, (laughs) like we'll get into it when we start talking about spoilers, but that's what I mean when I'm talking about the structure of this is he keeps hopping around to these, he goes to three separate planets in this episode. And I cannot tell you why he goes to all three of them. He goes to one of them for a reason that I'm like, okay, like you state why you go there, but it doesn't feel super necessary. And the other two, he's just like, just checking in, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So uh, we can go ahead and give our verdicts and then we can fully dive on in the episode without being so cagey about everything. For me, though, I, I I got a sideways thumb up and then a thumbs down, if I'm being honest. Like, it's not that this is like a bad episode. I think it's so fine. But I think for myself and somebody who's just not been in love with what the show has done so far and is really excited for the season still am. And I think we're going to get into like really interesting territory here. For me, this was just kind of a return to basics and didn't give me that sense of confidence of like, this is going to be a really strong season. It was just kind of like, this feels like what I've seen before, you know, yeah, show me yeah. something new. Let's, let's go in a new trajectory here. But for me, it was just a little too familiar. Yeah. I, I, I cannot possibly not see where you're coming from. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I, I do think that it's, I think it's interesting that, uh, that I don't know a ton of people that share the same, you know, that share the same concerns mostly because yeah. it, I, I just think it's interesting that like, this is the thing that has captured the hearts and minds of a lot of people to bring them in as new star Wars fans. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that, that people are just happy to be back. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I think you're right. And for me, you know, we're, if we talk about arbitrary rating systems and, and thumbs and whatnot, I do think that like my feelings on this show right now, um, sort of what I was talking about before about like wanting that sense of, of nostalgia of like, this is the most exciting thing to ever happen. Um, where I'm at right now is I'm imagining this as like, imagine I broke up with somebody like a long time ago. I got like dumped the hell out of a long time ago. And like, and like, Season two, I would have been like, you know, if I, if I saw their face, I would have been like, oh, get that shit out of here. Oh, I'm so mad. At this point, for me, season three premiere is like, I run into this person again and they're like, oh my gosh, like, what's going on? I'm, hey, listen, I'm really sorry that like things really didn't work out. I feel really bad. And my reaction is like, no, it's cool. It's cool. You know, like, that's how I feel about this episode is that like, yeah. I watched it and I was like, boy, there's a lot of things that like, I could really spend a, a lot of time yelling about and like, I'm excited to talk about it because there yeah. are things that, that need to be said. And I, and I feel like on, on a lot of this, you and I are on the same page. And so like, for me, 
that's that's the place that I'm in is like, yeah, no, it's cool. It's cool. It's one it's yeah. one thumb up, but it's like it's hiding so much to be like, I'm just happy that that you're doing well and you know, and I'm doing well and you don't need yeah. to worry about me. You don't gotta you don't gotta please me. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing my own thing. You're gonna you're gonna come out every Wednesday, uh w- regardless if I'm there or not. So yeah. it's an interesting feeling to have to be like, yeah, I I I don't love it. Um, yeah. and, and I'm not convinced. Do I need to be convinced? I don't know. I don't, I really don't. Um, but yeah, it's fine. It's cool. It's all right. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I I think you and I are, it's, it's interesting that this is the first other than the book of Boba Fett, which is like Mandalorian 2.5. Like we've not had an opportunity to talk about this show on this podcast before. So for a lot of folks that I've talked to, like in my actual life, I've just been like, they're like, oh, what do you think of The Mandalorian? And I'm like, eh, it's pretty good. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's just not for me. It's like my fourth, fifth favorite Star Wars show. You know, like I I, I think it's appropriate that this episode came out the same day as the episode of The Bad Batch. And I was like, that was great. And the other one, as I've alluded to, was just fine. Like, I, again, I think you and I are not arms crossed you know it's not like we're like get out of my face you broke my heart because it's like this show i was like very very excited for and i think is like adequate star wars i i I think that again it doesn't excel super often when it does i'm so thrilled i'm like that was a great episode like that was really really cool um we've talked about it when we talked about the book of boba fett that reintroduction to mando is incredible and i just rewatched all of the both seasons and then also the book of Boba Fett in preparation for this. And still like there are some episodes that great episode in season two, where they go to the prison with Migs Mayfield and the, the, the truck heist and all that stuff. My favorite episode of the show, it is incredible. So I think when the show gets like, you know, has those high highs, I'm like, Oh man, this is what I want this to be like every week. But I think so often it just kind of like hits this sort of minimum, you know? And I, I think just doesn't move, the needle super severely and i'm excited to see where the season go i still am uh, i also don't want to be a debbie downer there's stuff that i like in this episode and we're going to talk about it uh, believe you but like th- it just again didn't quite wow me so let's go ahead and dive on in the episode begins uh with the armorer uh and the rest of clan vizsla as they're welcoming a new mandalorian to their ranks after the armorer finishes the young boy's first helmet i think a lot of people myself included were like "Ooh, is this a flashback is this like a a din jarin flashback i don't think it's i think it's like propped up to be that to kind of be reminiscent of a young din jarin but i'm glad that it wasn't literally one i'm glad that it was just like Din Djarin is one of many of these young boys. This boy is probably a foundling who was, you know, in dire straits, was brought in, folded in, and is now regurgitating this creed that he probably doesn't even know what he's saying just because these these people put, you know, a roof over his head. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll believe whatever. Gets indoctrinated into into this cult, eventually leading to what we see with Din Djarin. So I thought it was a really great way to start off the episode is by kind of reminding us, you know, this group of people that Din Djarin has been raised in. Yeah, that's that's something that I think hits a little bit harder than, hey, do you remember me? Because I'm going on this mission uh, because I got to go get baptized. Um, You know, doing that three or four times, uh, I think that this hits a little bit harder uh, as a reminder of, you know, where he comes from. And and we get a little bit of a conversation later on in the episode about 
how that may or may not be foolish, how it may or may not be, uh, like you said, indoctrination and, and somewhat brainwashing. Yeah. Uh, you know, but this is a good way to kind of show that because it allows you to ask that question, uh, instead of posing it for you, Mm -hmm. um, like maybe a little bit later in this episode. But yeah, I, I, I also was like, is this, is this young Din Djarin? Because if mm. that's true, then Paz Vizsla is old under that helmet. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, but, but no, it, it turns out that it's not. It is not. Uh, and we know John Favreau's under that helmet and he's, you know, he's got a quick, uh, a, a, a quick bright step at his stride. I don't know. What's sure. the word for yeah. that? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> he, he's got a son in his jetpack, or whatever you want to say. <laughs> uh, the ceremony is interrupted though by a giant sea creature. Uh, it really had, you know, and then all of a sudden, kind of energy yeah, I was like say, it was just like definitely uh, should not have had this ceremony uh, in this lake that is definitely infested with a <laughs> monstrous gator. Uh, yeah, I might, gator might as well be doing this, this like right in the Everglades, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, you you already have this cave over here. Have it in the cave. You can't get in there. <laughs> what are you doing? You're all standing out there. Yeah, and like, whoa, whoa, like whoa, it's, a, the it's a beautiful day outside. What are we going to waste the day? Come on, get some sunlight. You know, it's it's the Baptist. Yeah, this giant sea creature. I don't know if that's like a riding faux pas to just say like, and then all of a sudden, you know, this thing happens. But it is setting the stage for all of these people in Clan Vizsla uh, and the uh, the other Mandalorians to try to defend themselves against this sea creature apparently the uh, audio description for this episode calls it like a gator turtle turtle or like a turtle dinosaur or something sure, like that man. <laughs> um they are unable to defeat the creature also the armor gets in gets a few licks in but also receives some licks herself uh that is until dinjarn arrives with grogu in the n1 starfighter and uh, quickly destroys the beast um for me uh, yeah this was like an interesting kind of I guess arrival for for Din Djarin and and Grogu. I I gave me like Last Jedi kind of energy when the Falcon just comes in and you see the explosion first and like the ship after. So that was cool, but I couldn't help but wondering wonder if something maybe a little bit more sensitive could have been used. Like imagine there's not this big action scene and then Din Djarin does see this like young boy getting indoctrinated and like kind of you know, uh, makes the audience see the parallels between the two of them rather than him just coming in and pew, 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 pew. And like, look, I'm the sick ass pilot, you know, <laughs> I, like it's not bad, but I, I, I'm curious if, if that would have been maybe a more interesting choice. Again, it raises that question of that we've talked about that in the trailer, the Mandalorian says to Grogu, he says, oh, you know, being a Mandalorian is not just about, you know, killing things and learning how to fight. It's also about being knowledgeable about pew, the pew, galaxy. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, and then it just, the, the absolute strongest music cue with the most badass whip around the corner. Yeah. Like, you know, it's one of those things that's like, hey, man, read the room. Yeah. Uh, but yes, still... I, can't lie it's kind of sick uh, it is cool it, yeah. it's got like big like andy playing with his toys kind of energy oh, and it's yeah. just like and then sheriff woody shows up and you and know the <laughs> score as well the having great. the theme just blast in is yeah. like felt really good uh i will say just a, a, an overall uh the theme 
the use of the theme in this episode overall, Mm because it's used a few times and it's used differently here and there. Really, really good stuff. That felt really, that like tied it together for me a little bit more. So yeah, quick, quick shout out there. We love to talk about that. Quick shout out to the thing. I'm curious, uh, and you can look up while I I, I talk this, I'm curious if Ludwig Van Hortzen is is still doing the theme here uh, because he didn't do it in the book of Boba Fett. I'm curious if he returned, but I did while you're looking that up, I did want to talk about that this episode is directed by Rick Famuyuma. Uh, who directed lots of uh, episodes uh, in prior seasons, uh, some of which really good, some of which also not my favorite, but I uh, wanted to shout him out uh, here. Do you have any details on who did the the score for this well, season? So I know that uh, I know that Ludwig Goranson, uh, or however you pronounce that, I know that he is credited um, in this in this episode at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, I think that it says. That Joseph he's like, Shirley is doing the score for this season. I was going to say it's the theme is just credited to him. Okay. Um, he is credited as a composer, but I'm sure again that that's just for yeah. for having created the theme. Yeah, he also worked on uh, Creed Three, which I saw last night, and I noticed that the score was uh, actually quite good for that. He also did the uh, score for the Book of Boba Fett, um, as well as Tenet. Um, so yeah, he's uh, been in the Star Wars sandbox before. Glad to see him back here. Uh, but yeah, I agree. The score is uh, really strong here. Um, in the Forge, Din Djarin once again speaks to the armor about his uh, redemption following his voluntarily uh, uh, removal of his uh, helmet at the end of season two uh, as he bid goodbye to Grogu before sending him off to Luke Skywalker. As we know, she reminds him that the Mandalore were destroyed in the purge and that the mines no longer is, exist for him to atone, uh, atone for his sins. Uh, however, Din comes in with uh, some sort of relic. It's like a shard of uh, a traveler who had claimed to have visited the circus uh, surface of Mandalore. Uh, Din Djarin claims to have uh, obtained this from some Jawas. Uh, kind of proving in a weird way, I guess, that the planet isn't completely destroyed, nor is it poisonous. I didn't quite understand that. Um, it's like a glowing, it almost looks like a thing of kryptonite. Um, uh, in the armor kind of replies in saying that it's been crystallized by fusion rays. However, Din Djarin sets out to bathe himself in the living water beneath the mines uh, underneath Mandalore to have uh, his exile lifted. I thought that this was a weird interaction. Um, it's kind of the first example of what I was talking about earlier to where like Din Djarin goes to meet the armor to say what, you know, like, Hey, still planning on atoning for my sins, still planning on going to, to, <laughs> to Mandalore. She's <laughs> like, yeah, it's still fucked. And he's like, maybe it's not. And she's like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I thought of that too, is that, you know, the, the interaction here is very like, Hey, in case you missed it, yeah. here's what we're doing. Totally. Um, but it's, it's odd to me thinking back to the book of Boba Fett, uh, that they have this conversation and she's, you know, the armor says like, Hey, listen, in order to redeem yourself, in order to be back uh, in our good graces, you're going to have to go get baptized at Mandalore. And he's like, great, I'm going to do it. And she's like, great, do it. Uh, and that's like, that's the conversation. And now when we're here, the conversation is, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And she's like, you can't do that. Like exactly. Yeah. You know, it's just like, uh, good luck trying to do that. And he's yeah. like, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to do it. And she's like, yeah, right, do I it. think you're, you're thinking right to point that out because in the book of Boba Fett, Mando says, he's like, 
Mandalore is destroyed. Like he's the naysayer. And you yeah. know what she replies? She says, this is the way she's like, that sucks. You're going to have to do it anyway. And so it's weird that their position is switched that he's like, I'm going to go do it. And she's like, not going to happen, pal. So yeah, I, I think you're right to acknowledge that weird switch here. I don't, I don't quite understand versus, or, or just in, in case you didn't watch the book of Boba Fett, you know, <laughs> it's like I did, you know, like I did watch it. Also, you remember that thing at the beginning of the episode where it was like previously on the Mandalorian. It's like, well, I saw it then too. So it was just weird. Like, I don't know for a 30 minute episode. I don't understand why we spent, uh, I don't know, a fifth or a sixth or, a, you know, a third of it even kind of just on this weird tangent. It was strange. It was strange. Yeah. I, and so, you know, coming off the back of that, I, I, I guess I, I can understand that he is like, Hey, I found this thing that proves that Mandalore is maybe not poisoned, uh, that I in fact can go there. Yeah. But it's just, again, you know, this is all colored with the shade of, Hey, in case you missed it, in case yeah. you missed the real world event where nobody watched this show. Uh, and there's a couple other real world events that are covered in this show, or at least alluded to, uh, that I think is, uh, really funny and we'll get to it. <laughs> very funny. Very funny. Um, as Din and Grogu travel through hyperspace to Navarro, Grogu is fascinated by Pergils, Noah, swimming through hyperspace. What the hell? I left what the out hell? the, I, I let out the biggest guffaw when I, it was like, you know, 12, 15 in the morning. And I was like, <laughs> What the shit? Like, yeah, I, I <laughs> also. Are you kidding me? I also audibly went, um, what? <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, the Pergils, this is their live action debut uh, after being seen in Star Wars Rebels. Um, they are these space whales. They're space whales, yeah, Noah, that yeah. travel and can navigate and also go through hyperspace. Uh, they are also responsible in a way for transporting Thrawn as well as Ezra Bridger off of the uh, command deck and into where, you know, uh, we're definitely going to be seeing this uh, answered eventually um, in the upcoming Ahsoka series. So maybe this is some foreshadowing for that. Um, or also maybe talking about uh, Grogu, maybe even having some uh, hyperspace abilities of his own, you know? Uh, but I think, yeah, the, the Ahsoka theory and the, how this is, I don't think it's like, oh, the Pergils are going to come back and it's all going to tie together. I think it's just kind of setting the stage for people to go, what the fuck was that? And then look it yes. up on Wikipedia and then they go, oh, okay, okay, interesting, interesting. <laughs> and, and for me, like, I saw it and I was like, that's awesome. And then, like, I thought about it for a second, which is like, you know, if I if I hadn't of, I would have been fine. Yeah. Um, but I did think about it for a second and I was like, okay, uh, the Mandalorian season one was a backdoor pilot for this, this, and this. Uh, the Mandalorian season two was a backdoor pilot for this and this and this. Um, and now we're getting into season three where we still have to remind people or have to educate people about what they're about to see. And I don't like thinking of it that way, but I can't yeah. help it. It's yeah. just, I mean, that, yes, it's there because it's cool. Um, but the fact is, so many people are going to watch this and go, what is, what's that about? Yeah. What? You know, and I'm, you know, you and I and, and plenty of other people are sitting here like, whoa, that's, that's really cool. And then you realize that it's because they have to cover that eventually. And I just don't right. understand why they can't cover it when they get to it to say, yeah, by the way, this is how things work right now. There's a way to do that. People have been doing that in movies for literally as long as there have been <laughs> movies. So I don't know. It's just, again, 
it's it is what it is. I get it. I get it. I'm fine with it. Like I know that, especially considering how much heavy lifting they're having to do for two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. I'm trying to think of how much heavy lifting they're going to have to do for an entire series. Noah, like when the Ahsoka series comes out, they're going to be like, oh yeah, there's this other show called Star Wars Rebels. It's weird. Like there's yeah. some weird stuff in it. Not the least hey, of which just, being space whales that travel through hyperspace. <laughs> just wait until Sabine pops up in this show because I'm sure she will and we'll get plenty of it then so you know yeah Yeah, i'm fine with them kind of uh talking about like planting those seeds just uh, allowing some people who care to go uh you know go to wikipedia or just google it like what was that you know or go watch a youtube video so uh yeah i thought that that was uh really really exciting to see them and just so weird i wouldn't have guessed in a million years that the first rebels connection that this show would have had like in live action uh was you know other than Bo-Katan was Pergils like that was amazing uh back on Navarro uh Grief Karga is now uh the kind of he's the mayor of this now thriving city Mr. Uh, mayor <laughs> Mr. Mayor there's even a, a memorial of IG-11 standing uh tall in the uh, Times Square here uh or not Times Square just in the center uh, square you know of the of the town town square that's what I'm looking for um he tries to convince Din to settle down in Navarro uh maybe even working as the mar- because something happened to the last one, Noah. Where'd oh, the really? last one go? <laughs> oh, really? Well, it's hilarious uh, that, I mean, me and I'm sure so many other people called it uh, that, like, as far as we were going to get was, hey, what's going on with uh, with Cara Dune? And the answer is, uh, she's busy, um, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, like, paused it and rewinded, and I was like, hey, Rachel, come here. Remember when I was talking about this to you? Yeah. Here it is. And I, like, played it for her, and she was like, oh, that's hilarious. And she did <laughs> say, she was like, I bet that Gina Carano is like watching this and is like screaming at the TV, you know? And so that, that was funny. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, they Marshall essentially Dune say is, is off on on some other mission. Yeah, they say that she's now in like special forces or something. So she's she's busy. You know, it's yeah, the same thing. You watch right, the Marvel definitely. movies and you're like, you're like, why don't they call the Avengers? And they're like, God, they're doing other stuff, man. They couldn't show yeah. up. They're they're yep. busy. They're off screen. We we couldn't afford them. You know, but for this situation, it's a a little different. Um, according to Grief Cargo, there's a lot of money to be made. Uh, in now mining the asteroid belt, but Ben uh, Ben, excuse me, but Den refuses. Uh, he tells. Karga he, again he's doing that thing that Denjarn always does every character that he meets he has to like remind them of what his mission is and in this season it's him telling them that he's an apostate that he's exiled yes it, it is interesting though there's like twice they have this conversation throughout the time on on Navarro and I like had to like stop for a second because I was like, didn't we already talk about this? Because, yeah. you know, they're they're in his his meeting, his meeting room, his office, and he's talking about it. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't live here and settle down with my child. Uh, I actually am an exile. I'm an apostate. Uh, and I have to do this thing. And yeah. then they're like on and a grief walk is like, town. Sick. Like, you settle down. You know, kick your right. feet up. You're not going to be in exile here. <laughs> right, exactly. And then they're, they're like walking through town and he's like, so wh- what are you doing here? And he's like, I told you, I am an apostate. <laughs> I'm on a mission. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize you were here for business. Yeah. And it's just, it's strange. It's, it's yeah. yeah, I don't know. 
It is odd, but yeah, I, I think you and I could maybe have a running poll of all the times that he tells another character that he's an apostate and that he's like on a quest <laughs> because that's what it was in, in season one. He's like, I'm here to, uh, you know, deliver this child to, to, you know, get a bounty. And the second one, he's like, I'm here to return the child back to its people. You know, it was just like him telling everyone he meets what his mission is. It's, it's Well, I'll tell you what, right now, I've not, you know, until we talked about this, until this series, uh, I have not heard anyone use the word apostate. So I am more than happy to uh, run a tally up <laughs> because yeah. uh, the only time I'm going to hear it is in this show. Yeah. We also see Grogu who is uh, using the force uh, to get some candies. Uh, we saw this clip uh, kind of uh, on Apple store on the Apple store, uh, I think is where it kind yes. of initially released. And so, yeah, showing that Grogu is getting better with the force using it without getting all tuckered out. Yeah. It's to get some candies here, but uh, yeah, apparently that time with uh, Luke was not a complete waste of time. Um, while on Navarro, we see that the pirate King Goran shard uh, has a crew led by Vane uh, and is putting up a fight after learning, that a bar uh, their captain's treasure helped build on Navarro is now a school. Um, they have this fashion, a uh, good old fashioned kind of Western standoff between uh, Vane and Grief Karga and Din kind of waiting in the wings to, to, to step in and offer a helping hand. Uh, and uh, Karga has a helping hand of his own. He is a quick draw, uh, even in his uh, older age and now kind of comfier position. He has not lost a step, blasting uh, the uh, blaster out of Vane. Vane's hands uh, when both of their weapons are drawn. Um, so yeah, I thought that that was cool that like Grief Karga, even it's like, yeah, he's, he's got a cushier job now, but don't mess around. He does, he's not going to mess around. He, he's going to get, he's going to get business done. You know, it, it is very funny because uh, Vane says something like he says, oh, I think you've gone soft. And I thought that Grief Karga was going to say, nope, I'm hard. And like has his gun <laughs> at the ready. And, but like that, that whole scene is, was very like, oh yeah, sick. Yeah. We're, we're back in Western town even though everything looks like it was bought at, at pure imports yeah. and you know and whatever uh but yeah it's it's very cool i like it yeah, I also think that this is a good time to talk about it. I was talking about how this episode I think does a good job at showing, you know, or, or, or a thematically strong and I think I'm directly referring to the fact that I think in these three locations. This is the second of, of of the three, and we'll talk about the third. I think all of these locations are emphasizing on change. Um, I think that this one is really showing how much Navarro, Navarro has changed in recent years and is yet again providing another opportunity for Din Djarin to settle down and to be accepted and to understand that this cult that is, you know, has him in their grasp is not necessarily the way, you know, they claim that their way is the only way and understanding that there can be so many different ways. That's a theme that's been present throughout a lot of this show. But I think in this episode, it's especially nailed down and showing how these different locations have evolved and then further highlighting, you know, this cult and their lack of evolution. You know, I, I thought it was quite uh, potent in this and also in the uh, next location that we go to. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, this is a this is a scene or a, a location where that idea is not necessarily entertained. It's posed, but it's not entertained. It's it, you know, it's not like the uh, the village episode uh, in season one, um, but it still has that same feel that mm -hmm. just reminding Din that there's that there is a different way that there is a place for him and that yeah. he can be respected there i think that that's one thing that's interesting is that you know the the concept of him hanging up his blaster as as mr weathers uh implies and outright says 
is more entertained uh, in a couple other in a couple other fashions, but here still that idea of, you know, you don't have to do things the way that other people are telling you to do yeah. more. So saying you can do whatever you want to do, you know, granted those are the thing, you know, you're with the people that you want to be with him and Grogu being together again is sort of that like, okay, great. What are we going to do now? Yeah. Uh, like you had said before with, you know, with Grogu being back, how does this play a role in that? Cause I'm sure that Grogu would love to just hang out and, you know, not be, not be chased down by the empire. Uh, but that's not necessarily what we, uh, what we're probably going to see. I'm sure that we'll see a little bit of that. So I don't know. It's interesting. Certainly is interesting. Uh, we learned that the reason that Din Djarin is on Navarro is to get some aid uh, in, in, you know, his mission to Mandalore. He needs what is left of IG-11 to hopefully get himself a droid to help him explore Mandalore. Uh, Din is mildly successful in reviving IG-11. Uh, the nurse droid, although alive um is goes <laughs> full-blown terminator like crawling on the ground trying to just murder grogu um in this kind of like zombie you know kind of fashion here um uh, one of uh, grief Carker's droids like drops a bust on ig-11's head killing the droid once again um and din has a hell of a dad joke uh he is full-blown daddy and what does he say noah he says now that's thinking with your head uh or something like that you know uh, it was horrible. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, puns in star Wars are a little few and far between. Uh, another one who says a pun is Darth Vader, believe it or not. Uh, in yep, Rogue one. That's true. uh but, uh, yeah, this one wasn't like my fave. <laughs> we've we've <laughs> like, talked about this before. Like the yeah. looks like she's on top of things. Hell uh, that's yeah. another one. That's yeah. sick. That's awesome. Like, I love that. Uh, this Obi-Wan one Obi-Wan is sassy. You know, he's a yes. sassy boy. I don't think Din Djarin is sassy. I, I think Din Djarin is that like that weird, you know, Puritan kid that you, you go to school with and, you know, doesn't really understand anything and wears like, you know, <laughs> uh, slacks and a tucked in shirt every single like day. Cargo <laughs> pants, a Legend of Zelda shirt and strap on <laughs> sandals. That, that's yeah. the one. The, that's the one you're thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, I like. I don't know. There's obviously there is humor in this show from time to time. Totally. Uh, I don't, I don't expect it from, uh, from Pedro Pascal. No offense. Uh, but yeah, it's I, just I, not the character. I think Ninjaran is funniest when it is like him in the situation. Like, I think there's a really endearing moment between him and Grogu. And I believe season two, uh, to where he learns that Grogu's name is in fact Grogu. And he just is just like Grogu and, you know, and maybe Yoda's like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just yeah. like, hot damn. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. You know, like uh, I really like that, that beat, but yeah, the clever wordplay and the puns is not my preferred humor in star Wars. Let's just say that. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with you on, on that one there. Unless we get more of it. Unless there's one pun per episode. Oh, it just episode. wears us down, you mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and that's and that's his new character, is that yeah. everybody hates the jokes that he makes and yeah. like makes him aware of it. And he's like, oh, I'm really, tr I'm trying, you know? Yeah, I do want to ask, um, what do you think of Din Djarin and him coming to Navarro to get IG-11? What do you think um, of that? <laughs> I don't know why he would do that. Uh, only because, like, you know, he is aware of IG-11's fate. I feel like it's... Well, he hasn't been back to Navarro. Let's just put it that way. Uh, he hasn't been back really enough to know that there is a statue, not only in IG-11's honor, uh, but a statue that uses his body. 
if he's going to go to Navarro to look for IG 11, that's just a really like, okay, what are we doing here? And he's like, you know, imagining Grogu's like, why are we going to Navarro? And he's like, well, I got to get a droid uh, to help me go to Mandalore. And the only droid that I trust is IG 11. And Grogu's like, yeah, but remember he blew up and Din Djarin is like, no, yeah, I know. Um, but there's probably a statue or something made out just, of his, his maybe, remains. Just maybe, <laughs> yes, his, his remains are still intact and not only intact, but easily locatable uh, by being in the middle of the town square. It doesn't work for me. I'm not necessarily saying that it's like a full on deus ex, ex machina, but like it's just, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's a little weird. Yeah. For me, I'm just kind of like, all right. You know, like <laughs> yeah. returning to this planet to get this droid, which eventually leads us to another fetch quest. It's just like this reminds me of like you played a video game and you like come across a side mission and you're like, I got to do what now? And you're like, I'm not doing that now. Like, and you just move on. You're like, I'll do it later to me. If, yes. if, I, if this was the Mandalorian video game and they're like, yeah, find IG-11 and his memory chip and you can have him as an ally. Like, yeah, I'll do that later. I don't I don't need him now because I think Din Djarin is like looking for allies to take along with his mission to Mandalore right. because he doesn't think that he can do it himself. I'm just curious as to like, why doesn't he think he can do it himself? Like if he thinks the planet is supposedly poisoned, at least in the eyes of people, he doesn't believe it to be actually be true, but at least he knows that people think it is. Does he think that Mandalore is like, you know, imperially occupied, you know, does he think he's going to come across like a lot of like stormtrooper remnants, the empire that doesn't exist anymore? You know, like what's, what's necessarily the reasoning of this? Does he think he's going to come under a lot of fire here? Like that was something I was just like, why do we need to do this? Like, why do we need to to have IG-11? It's, I didn't understand the reasoning for it, let alone the fact that it's going to be another fetch quest in the show. Well, not only that, but I mean, th this is thinking into this a little bit more, but, you know, so Grief Karga says like, oh, you need a droid? We can give you a droid. We got plenty of droids, you know? Yeah. I, I'll put it this way. Where's that dude going to sit? Where's where's he gonna sit? That's an excellent point. Where's he gonna well, sit? How is he gonna take him with he's him? Gonna strap him to the hood like a station wagon. <laughs> the fact is that like this is a this this fetch quest is a catalyst for whatever is going to take place in the rest of this show, and I don't love it because that just feels it just feels wrong. It feels like a wrong way to approach setting up the 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 chain of events and i don't love chain of event stuff because it doesn't feel threaded it feels oh and then oh and suddenly oh and out of nowhere oh and after that you know and i just yeah. it it worries me it worries me yeah you know who is somebody that would probably help him boba fett Finnick Shan, sure. like those people would probably come along and be a lot more helpful on the mission than this broken droid who may or may not kill your son. You know, go, <laughs> like, go ask. Here's the thing. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to say this right now. And I, and I barely mean it. I barely mean it, but I know that this is where it's, I know that this is where it's leading. You're Tatooine? not going to, I, Exactly. Go it's ask hundred percent. Pelimoto is absolutely going to be in the next episode. Yes, because because we know we know that R four D five is going to be the guy in the cockpit, and and of course he is because IG eleven is not going in the cockpit. Of yeah. course he's not. But now we have to go get this memory chip, which means that something is going to go wrong. Which means that we can't get IG eleven. Which means it'll be maybe maybe even two episodes from now that we're gonna finally get that. Okay, great. Now we can go to Mandalore because we went to Pelimoto and got a droid that we trust. Just, yeah. you know, from the very short list, 
I don't know. Anyways, the point is what I would not, I say this with the, the absolute most hesitation. Why, why not go talk to Pelimoto? You should have done that. And it's not what I want. I don't want it. I don't want it at all, but that's where we're going. I know it is mark my words. It absolutely has to be. Yeah, I, I feel like that's probably where we're going to go as well. Uh, but Din Djarin also has uh, some other plans and some other people that he could potentially go and uh, talk to. But uh, yeah, I was just kind of like, all right, yeah. And I know that we're going to go back to Tatooine and I'm just kind of like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, yep. like, cool. Again, it's just like, it's not bad. It's just the status quo. It's just like, all right, well, instead of introducing like a new relationship or a new character to the show, we're just having IG-11 back and Taika Waititi and just like all of that kind of stuff. And I'm also just like, is it necessary? Like, do you need this to go to Mandalore? If so, why? Like, I don't know. I don't know. No, yeah. I also and, don't and believe. The, yeah. I, I hold on, but like, I don't believe Din Djarin would be trusting of IG Eleven. Like, no, I think yeah. he might temporarily be, but I think the moment that IG Eleven is like, I'm gonna freaking kill that guy. He's like, okay, I'm done. Like, I will say again, this is all kind of circling back to that idea of transformation. This is showing Din Djarin in his growth. This is showing, you know, emphasizing those themes of being reprogrammed, uh, be- being reprogrammed, and like having new learning of like IG Eleven used to be a droid that you know, uh, Din Djarin didn't, didn't trust for only having like this one objective. And now he understands that it can be like more multifaceted than that. I think that again, is circling on that theme of like transformation that we've seen that I think this whole season is going to be about. I think we are going to see a transformation happen with Din Djarin, but from like a practical writing standpoint, I'm just like, I don't understand the utility, uh, of having IG 11 along on this mission just quite yet. Yeah. And, and with, with the Tatooine stuff, I, I, the only reason I thought of it, not not to just go back and harp on it, but to to kind of connect with what you're saying. The yeah. only reason I thought of it uh, is because when I was watching this, I was I was sort of jokingly thinking to myself, like, okay, we've stopped at uh, the Armorer's place, we've stopped at Navarro, and mm-hmm. we've stopped at uh, Bo Katan's place, which we'll obviously get to. Um, but I was I was laughing to myself because I was like, well, the only place we haven't been to yet is Pelimoto's shop, and. <laughs> Uh, the the reason that like uh, the whole thing was I was like oh crap like we are gonna go to Pelimoto's shop now that's what yeah. we're gonna do this this and that yeah. and all that to say of course we are because you're right that we are following this basic algorithm this basic formula and we're not straying too far from it because we couldn't possibly we couldn't possibly what would happen if we strayed too far from what we've done before God knows who who knows. The whole thing could go absolutely off the rails, and you know what? Nobody watches it, and and suddenly we, you know, Star Wars fan base loses fifty percent of its members only because they they liked Grogu, and you know, is that is that what's going to happen? <laughs> no, there's literally no way. It's just it hurts, you know, to watch that and be like, why are we doing the same thing over and over again? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Miggs Mayfield could go to Mandalore. I'd be down with that. <laughs> you know what? Hey, man. Or, more or trust, actually, more or, trustworthy. Um, those two Mandalorians that are like with Bo-Katan, we know they're mercenaries now. We got Cosca Reeves and like Axe Wolves. So like, yeah, they could. They Yo, could, bring you know? Sasha Banks back. Bring her that's back, dude. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think they'd be down with Mandalore. I don't see. That's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure because, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, I, I'll put a pin in, in my point. Okay. Um, but, uh, 
yeah. Uh, so Dendrara now knows that he has to uh, uh, get this droid repaired uh, before he can, you know, officially kind of revive it here. So Karga brings Din and IG-11 to the best droid smiths on Navarro, the Anzellans, the same species as Babu Frick. Um, he assures Dendrara that they can get IG-11 up and running like he was uh, uh, back to new with uh, Quill's protocols, of course. But they tell uh, Din that IG-11 cannot be fixed. There's a lot of cute moments here. One of which, my favorite, Din Djarin sitting crisscross applesauce was really cute. Um, and then we also have Grogu who's like giving the Anzalans like a big old hug. And I thought yes, it was really sweet. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, first yeah. of all, uh, just a really quick let's freaking go. Love it. Uh, yeah. Just just because Anzalans are back. I I like he's Grief Karga says something. Let me just preface this. My my wife, Rachel, does not want to watch this show with me. She is mm-hmm. like, and, and it's mostly because she doesn't like that everybody's obsessed with Grogu. And she also doesn't Dang. really know Star Wars that well. She's a contrarian. Right. So she is like, I, she's like, I can't be bothered because too many people are just obsessed with whatever. And yeah. I also don't know about it. So I can't enjoy it for myself. And watching other people be obsessed with it is, you know, frustrating, yeah. whatever. So like, she is not wanting to watch it. But like, I paused it when, when Grief Cargus said like, Oh, the best droid smiths in the outer rim. I paused it and I was like, Rachel, you're going to want to see this. And she was like, oh, it's those guys, you know, so just a quick W in the chat for, uh, for the end zones because yeah. they, they pop out and he's like, what do you want? And I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're super cute. Uh, and, uh, they also all talk very funny. Like I'm glad to, to know and Din Djarin, like can't understand a word that they're saying. And, yes. uh, uh, grief cargo is able to understand them for some reason, but anyway, um, uh, IG-11 is broken. They're not able to fix it. His memory circuit is apparently busted, and those are a little difficult to come by. So Din Djarin is set on a fetch quest uh, to get said broken circuit. Uh, he'll have to find the part, uh, but Grogu, uh, like we said, sneaks a little hug on the end zone before they leave. It is fucking adorable. Yes. Uh, Din and Grogu are off to find the memory circuit, but Vane interrupts Grogu's piloting lesson, uh, seeking vengeance for the crew members that Din and Karga took down on Navarro. Vane is such a weirdo. What a Star Wars weirdo. <laughs> this guy is like this big red beard pirate, but made out of moss, like, you know, swamp thing. It was like, what a freak. Like, <laughs> just yeah, so it was weird. Very, it was very like Davy Jones-esque. Yeah. Uh, very, very strange. I immediately was like, okay, this, what's his, what's his name? Gorian, Gorian Shard. Um, I was like, this. I gotta know what this guy's deal is, but like, I'm not so, I'm not so pretentious that I'm going to like jump on Wikipedia as I'm watching the episode. Like I'll figure it out. Someone's going to be talking about it, but like just first, like off the bat, what in the world? It's yeah. so weird. Yeah, it's so, so strange. Uh, in this fight between Vane uh, and uh, Din and Grogu, Grogu's wearing Din's like bandolier, like a seatbelt, uh, is just like giggling through hyper, this like high speed chase. And yeah, we don't really get like a lot of, you know, space dog fights in The Mandalorian. So I was really excited by this one. I thought this one was like really terrific. Uh, I thought it was really cool that like Din is like a shark you know he just like hides and then pops out and takes him down kind of one by one I, I thought it was uh really terrific but yeah we see the Gorian yeah. shard is just this big weirdo with a big weirdo ship I thought the design of the ship was really cool reminded me of the uh kind of the hammerhead thing that we see in a uh, rogue one uh, I'm not sure if it's like the same class or whatever but uh yeah it's like a retrofitted hammerhead type thing I really I, th- I thought it was really really cool 
Yeah, it was uh, that was great. One of my favorite uh, bits of the episode for sure. Some we love some Star Wars pew pew. Um, but uh, they narrowly escape and arrive on Calvella, uh, another planet in the Mandalorian system that is home of the planet House Cries. Uh, this is the first live action appearance of it. Uh, uh but we all kind of heard about it and is mentioned in uh, Star Wars Clone Wars, which is the birthplace of Duchess Satine, which was really cool. Uh, but Bo-Katan is seated on a throne alone in the old Mandalorian castle of her family. Din tells her that uh, he is kind of like would love her help <laughs> in uh, retaking Mandalore, but she reveals that her forces are abandoned after she returns without the Darksaber in hand. Uh, and those allies are now mercenaries uh, and he can lead them if he wishes uh, and they'll follow him since he wields the Darksaber. So that's what I was going to say. I, it's a little still unclear if like Din Djarin is able to have that influence of the Darksaber, despite the fact that he is an apostate. Like, that's kind of what I'm understanding, that he's still able to be like, I'm the boss. You have to follow me into Mandalore, but forget about the apostate stuff and what the the armor says. I'm still a Mandalore. So, yeah, I, I think that there's some differences of, of opinions in that in regards to, you know, Mandalorian culture. But I think he's still able to kind of, you know, wield the, the saber and have that influence. That's the thing is that I don't fully it's difficult. I like it um, because it it sort of alludes to the idea of some kind of a civil war, you know, the or the I, I should say the repercussions of a Mandalorian civil war. Um, but at the same time, why does that like why is that connective thread still there? The fact that, you know, no matter what, Din's got the Darksaber and people in the Children of the Watch um, as long as he's not an apostate, I guess, uh, will follow him because of the dark saber. Every other Mandalorian will follow him because he has the dark saber. So where is that split in terms of like the, I guess the level of, of like what his place uh, among other Mandalorians is. It's weird because it feels like it doesn't totally track the idea that, you know, this cult has this belief but as long as, you know, as long as the, the, the cult's beliefs are, are met, the requirements are met, then he can wield the dark saber and, and be the leader. But why is it that, that, that takes precedent over something that is inherently true to Mandalorian culture since before this cult, it's, it's a little confusing to me because that almost tells me that, you know, what if there was a time where a leader had the dark saber and the children of the watch didn't necessarily agree with their leadership? Does that mean they just don't follow that person or, or how does that work? It's all very yeah. confusing to me. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's intentionally supposed to be a little confusing. And we've seen people that like one Mandalorians just straight up don't agree with like Duchess Satine and they overthrow them and, you know, they have the dark, the dark saber. But then we also have somebody who's like overtly not a Mandalorian, like Maul having the dark saber, but they still believe them. I think it's intentionally supposed to be confusing. I think it's intentionally supposed to be contradictory and, because, and, you know, the the armor potentially being a mall supporter if if theories are to be believed i mean i'm i'm growing closer to that you know with every episode again mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt but that's like a 
where are your loyalties? I don't really understand. Anyways, continue. well, I think it's supposed to be intentionally confusing because uh, Bo-Katan reminds him that the cult abandoned Mandalore long before the purge and the children of the watch and all that came before them um, were the cause of the very fracture in the Mandalorian people that kind of left them vulnerable. Um, and he tells her that he is going to Mandalore to be forgiven of his transgressions. He's an apostate. Yes. Uh, yes and she tells yes. him that it's a superstition, uh, that there's nothing magic about those minds except for the fact that Beskar are there. Uh, and they're, you know, that's w- once where they were like mined uh, is is uh, in that location, the very location where he would be uh, uh, kind of baptized here. She tells him where they are beneath the civic center in the city of Sundari. And he tells her that he'll tell her if the planet really is poisoned uh, like they've been led to believe. So I think it's intentionally supposed to be confusing. The fact that. You know, Bo-Katan is like that superstition that you believe uh, is hogwash. It's bullshit. Like you go there. It's just going to be this abandoned mine. It's not magic. It's not going to save you. But oh, yeah, that sword that you have is going to be able to unite Mandalore and save everybody. And the same reason that like him removing this helmet or not removing the helmet is, you know, I think it's all supposed to be bullshit. Like, I think it's all supposed to kind of wake us up and in turn Din Djarin up to the fact that like, yes, some of these values and customs that you have are what makes you who you are, but a lot of them, like the Jedi, are a little stifling, and you're kind of losing sight of what it means to be a Mandalorian for all of these, like, ridiculous reasons. You could obviously draw, like, connections between, like, real-world religion and and a lot of that kind of stuff, so I I think that it's supposed to be a little contradictory. Yeah, and that's, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way, and this is sort of one of the frustrating feelings I came out of this with, because we need sort of a clear answer as to those. Well, we don't, I shouldn't say we need a clear answer. I should say I, I want a, a clear conclusion as to what our main characters are feeling, why they are feeling it, what the decisions that they make are, and why they make those decisions. And the fact is that we have spent more time explaining, you know, explaining the purpose of Din Djarin's mission and less time explaining why that's important to any other character that we come across. And it's, it's just interesting that it's like, okay, we're going to spend our time catching everybody up to speed with what happened in a show that they didn't watch. We are going to hope that everybody is sort of on board with this vague explanation of the backstory of this entire civilization that has been so thoroughly planned and written out by the creators of this show in other mediums. And, you know, we're just going to hope that people are on board with it and that that's the way that this show is going to go. Um, so that's frustrating, I guess, in, in, a, in a small way. Um, yeah. I, maybe we'll get more information again, like we've talked about this before, but I'd love that that kind of conversation between Din Djarin and Grogu to come to an understanding with each other and how those parallels work because Grogu did make that choice to somewhat, let's just say, you know, umbrella parallel terms to forsake the identity that he, you know, has been given by his abilities and by his upbringing to forsake that identity to be with Din Djarin. And Din Djarin has a choice to do the same and has not done so yet. And I'd love that conversation to happen between the two of them, sort of, however that's going to happen, or at yeah. least to come to an understanding. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I uh, kind of how I left this episode. 
Yeah, I think, again, thematically it works because in seeing this kind of castle, this place that used to be a, a, a regal place is now left Bo-Katan alone. She's just sitting on this throne when he gets there. I wonder if she was sitting there before he got there. Does she do anything in this castle? Does she have hobbies? You know, <laughs> does she read? What is she doing on this castle other than just sitting on this throne to no one? You know, but I think that's it is another example of it kind of circling this idea of transformation and how these Mandalore, uh, these Mandalorians are kind of, you know, a little lost at this time and looking for guidance and looking for leadership and looking for an understanding of, you know, this this lack of unification between all of them. And I think not to say that. Dinjarin is going to be the one to reunite Mandalore, but, you know, getting to a point to where they are able to have a, a better grasp of why they have these customs and what they mean. You know, there a lot of there there seems to be a lot of calling things superstition, calling things like worthless traditions, but to me it all seems a little overly complicated and a little contradictory, which I'm sure the show is going to address. I don't think that that's like an accidental thing. But yeah, I think just to wrap into our final thoughts, I think that this episode just didn't really continue this narrative in a way that I thought was interesting beyond purely thematic reasons. Uh, I think that it was mostly recapping things or putting these characters in places that I just don't understand or see as necessary. Um, I don't know why these characters are going to certain places that they're going to. Like, why does Din Djarin go to Navarro? Like, yeah, I know he needs IG-11, but why? Like, why does he need IG-11? Like, why does he go to Bo-Katan to tell her, like, she's like, hey, do you want to come along? You know, like... Like it just it it all seems so odd to me. I don't really feel like structurally there's a lot of rhyme or reason behind why each scene leads to the next. I think it's an it's I'm not a writer. I don't know anything, but I, I do know that like generally in stories, it's a rule that like when you are having these plot points, they're supposed to inform the next one and that B happens because A led to it. And then right. C happens because B led to that. And for me, this was just like A, B, and C. And they're all like segmented and they don't, you know, they don't lead into anything. They are just like these three chunks of like, yeah, now he's going to this place. And then this happens, you know, it's not. And because of that, this so, ha you know, happens after that. So, yeah, for me, I was just kind of like, yeah, it's just, it's just standard. Like it, this is. I think the most concise way to say it is this is a welcome back to the Mandalorian for good or for ill. I think it reminds me of why this show uh, has fallen a little flat for me. Um, I think it was like a nice reunion with these characters, but also a reunion to some of the uh, uh, ways that this series can fall short a little for myself. Yeah. And, and I'll say this much as, as part of my final thing that I, I tend to, I usually tend to like stay away from something like this, uh, especially because this series is going to be pretty short. I believe it's only eight episodes or this, this season, I should say, I believe the season is only eight episodes. Um, just looking through the IMDB stuff, because when we were talking about, uh, the composers, uh, whether or not that was, you know, that whole thing, I believe this season is only eight episodes. I would hesitate to say this normally, but we've only got, like just, I mean, just pushing 30 minutes for this episode. I really wish that this could have been stretched out or potentially, and again, I would not often advocate for this, but two episodes on the, on the first day, drop the two episodes on the first day, because coming out of this, 
It did not feel like any new information was had. It feels like kind of playing catch up. And I don't mm-hmm. love that as a fan because what that uh, we've, we've said it a million times and, and, you know, we'll continue to bring it up here and there because I do think it's still pertinent, but people like you and I, we did watch the book of Boba Fett. We were there. Lots of people did actually, you know, as opposed to, to whatever. And not only did lots of people watch the book of Boba Fett as a series, but a lot more people watched mm-hmm. those two episodes in particular. People yeah. knew about it. People done Ben knew. <laughs> and the frustrating thing for me is that I don't like being, I don't like being lumped into the category of, okay, since nobody watched the book of Boba Fett, we got to do this episode. That's how we have to do it. Since nobody watched it. Mm-hmm. And the frustrating thing is you and I did watch it. I'm pretty sure yeah. we sure as hell talked about it a lot. So I would hope that we both watched it. And so I don't love being lumped into that. And that's what this feels. That's what this first episode feels like. So going into next week, I have higher hopes of getting away from those things. Um, but it just, I, I don't love I don't love being uh, being talked down to as a Star Wars fan. That's what it sort of mm-hmm. feels like, you know. Well, I can go ahead and uh, assume that next week is probably going to be getting that memory chip uh, for IG Eleven and probably going to Pelimoto, and you know, who knows? Uh, I will say, thankfully, a lot of this episode is in like the marketing. Uh, they really seem to have like milked this episode in particular for the marketing, and maybe next week's episode. You know, there's a few shots here and there that we haven't seen, but I, I think it's cool that it's like no, a lot of what this show is was kind of marketed to just be like the first. Uh, maybe episode or two, but yeah, you're right. This is an eight episode uh, season. I also would like to, for it to be a little more toothsome. Uh, and I think would uh, make this uh, show like have more breathing room would be able to, to have these moments, maybe make a bit more sense to be more fleshed out to, to dive in a bit deeper. Cause uh, yeah, I think you and I are a little frustrated that it's so far a little surface level, but uh, we're excited. We got another episode coming uh, next week and I hope that it uh, continues to take the show in some exciting directions and uh, uh, maybe offer us something a little bit new, but until we get there, Noah, do you want to go ahead and wrap it up and take some? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news that you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at ScumVillainPod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah DeGeorge and Garrett McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys.